Hey everyone, Juad here with Hit the Apex Podcast. How we doing? Hope everyone is well wherever you are in the world. Um, feels like it's been a while uh, since I did the last episode. It's only been a couple of weeks, but you know, sometimes it goes quickly, sometimes it goes quite slowly, and I'm kind of enjoying uh, having a week off um, when there's no review, uh, race review to talk about. Of course, um, this time you'll get to back-to-back because we've got the Monaco Grand Prix on this weekend, so I will do the Monaco review next week, but it's Spain. It's Spain. It's the Spanish Grand Prix, Barcelona, and a day of pain in Spain. You could, you know, just, I don't know keep coming up with that one all the time if if someone has a horrible day in Spain but it was a day of pain for Ferrari um, and we had the Red Bulls run rampant running of the Bulls uh, with a 1-2 finish and taking the championship lead as well for the first time this season and who would have thought that after uh, Australia when Max Verstappen had his second retirement of the season and looking back at you know when you get those reminders on Facebook about um, you know posts from 12 months ago on this day or you know two years ago but during the week I think it might have been on Monday or Tuesday it came up with it on this day in 2021, Max Verstappen took the championship lead for the first time in his career. I don't think, I didn't post that. I think it might have been a friend, um, somebody I saw it on my timeline and was like, well, that's serendipitous, isn't it? <laughs> to 12 months later for the same thing to happen um, after this point in the season. I think last year it was after the Monaco Grand Prix. Verstappen took the lead of the championship. So he leads. Red Bull in front as well. What happened to Ferrari? Well, first mechanical DNF for Charles Leclerc this season. He conked out on lap 27 with a power unit failure. And it was all looking pretty good for him. You know, the question marks uh, the whole weekend were about whether Ferrari had the race pace to sustain a fight against Red Bull. That wasn't the case the previous weekend in Miami, but this time they looked good. Max had some DRS problems in qualifying, so potentially costing him pole position while Leclerc was able to get that. And Ferrari bringing upgrades, as many of the teams did, except for Haas, which we'll get to a bit later as well. Um... Great start for Leclerc, Max getting in behind him uh, to lead in the early phase of the race. Uh, Had a bit of a problem, did Max in the opening stint where a gust of wind hit him and spun him at turn four, so he lost a bit of time there. Same issue caught out teammate Carlos Sainz as well in the other Ferrari, Um, but it was Max who was worse off because he still had those DRS issues plaguing him where he would activate DRS but the flap won't open or if he opened it it just immediately shut Um, something to do with the rear wing assembly that they brought on the new upgrades or whatever just to save weight in that particular area but it really held him up when he was stuck behind not only his teammate Sergio Perez but George Russell as well who was a real thorn in the side and we'll talk a little bit about George as well separately in a bit Checo getting a bit testy with Red Bull because he was being kept behind Max who had the problems with the DRS. Checo, you know, had a car with no issues going on whatsoever, had some good pace, 
Um, and really, this is the first we've seen uh, since Checo moved to Red Bull. Uh, him getting up in uh, up in anger or whatever at the team. Um, you know, everyone can argue till you know the end of the end of time, basically that, you know, he was pretty much brought into the team as the number two to, to Max. Um, Christian Horner made the argument after, or said after the race, that, you know, it was all about maximising, um, what do you call it, uh, the result on the day, and, you know, regardless of what position uh, they finished in, and especially if Max is in the championship fight, they're going to favour him too, so... You know, I'm sure Checo's day will come where he will win a race in Red Bull. Probably a day when uh, Max has a DNF and or you know is running well outside the points and can't get a point or whatever. So, but you know, I'm sure that that's that's been discussed and um, you know dealt with as they were hoping to do it post race. Checo was like, "Oh, we'll speak after the race in regards to this." Um, so I'm sure they would have had some some words or whatever. And look, you know, I understand his point as well, where he's like, "I'm in a car capable of winning races and championships. I want to have the chance to be able to achieve that, if not if not a championship, but um, at least." Uh, race wins, you know, and he's done so once for Red Bull already back in Baku last year, uh, and I'm sure it's going to happen at some point again this season, so, you know, I think it's just another story that's blowing up, um, it's not going to be explosive, uh, hopefully not, you know, we'll wait and see how the rest of the season pans out, but um, no point getting too worked up about it just yet. Uh, pit stops, so we had a three-stop race for most of the runners, the two-stoppers didn't, you know, didn't have a good day, and I'll go over them a bit later. Um, Max was brought in on lap 29 for his second stop, it was basically just so he could undercut uh, Checo and also Russell for the lead of the race essentially because this is after Leclerc's DNF so they were fighting for the win now um Checo was able to get past George as well uh before the third round of pit stops which kicked off on lap 45 and basically yeah from there Max was able to cruise home for a hat trick of wins you know three wins in a row since um his DNF in Australia and um, also took the championship lead along with the Constructors' championship lead for Red Bull. So, you know, they're looking pretty good this year, Red Bull, in terms of having both cars up there and being able to score the maximum points. I think Checo got the point for fastest lap on this occasion. Um, And then joining him on the podium was George Russell, the only driver to have finished in the top five in all six races so far, with his two podiums as well in Melbourne and this time in Barcelona. So, what do you say? George has been incredible, and I think I said it last time, is that, you know, he's so used to driving a poor car that anything better than what he's had in the past, as far as what Williams could offer him, is going to be a step up and he can get the maximum out of it. But Mercedes brought their own upgrades as well this weekend, or last week, I should say, and it seemed to have remedied not 100% of their problems, but most of them, it seems the car, their feedback generally was that the car is a lot more drivable, it feels more like a race car was was the quote, and that's good for them, you know, they feel a bit more confident, you know, I don't know about Lewis Hamilton in that instance, we'll talk about him too, um, 
but Russell, you know, definitely getting a lot more out of the car at the moment, which is good to see. He's up there in the championship as well. I don't know if legitimately they can put a claim on for the title this season. That depends on a number of things, and, you know, you'd have to hope for more uh, DNFs or bad results for the likes of Leclerc and for Verstappen, which, you know, that's up to the reliability or, like, whether they take each other out. But if George continues to put in the performances he is, you know, solid top three finish in the championship would be like a win, basically, in his first season at Mercedes. And hopefully that gets recognised as well, you know, especially when he's alongside seven-time world champion Hamilton. So... Can't speak highly enough of George, um, the performances he's putting in. And it's good because even though we saw him do so well um, at Williams and everyone had the hype around him, there's part of me that always wants to wait and see how they perform in, like, you know, are they the real deal when they step into that car, you know, when they make that step up. Like we saw Leclerc stepping up from you know, Salba, Alfa Romeo, after a single season into the Ferrari, and he, he was there, performed. Matt Verstappen, another one, stepping into Red Bull and winning his first race for Red Bull, you know, after not even a, a season and a half at Toro Rosso. So when someone like Russell, who, you know, with the three years of experience that he had at Williams and everything, very character-building years, to step into what will be another character-building year for Mercedes, you know, depending, this is going to shape how they fare under these new regulations for the next, you know, few years until we get the next change uh, in 2026. Um, and so far, he's ticking all the boxes, which, which is really good, and I'm sure his fans will be really excited about that. Hamilton, meanwhile, he recovered to P5, and when I say recovered, it's because he had a lap one incident, he tangled with Kevin Magnussen at turn four, um, Paul Magnussen ended up in the gravel and had to spend the rest of his race in, you know, just just trying to, s not DNF, you know, there wasn't any chance he was going to score points, so it was basically just like a glorified test session for him and Haas, um, but for Hamilton, like, he was at the back, he had to go in, change front wing, and then basically start the recovery, and all before that, he was coming on the radio saying, let's just, you know, why don't we just save the engine and the car and just not bother, you know, and his engineer is like, well, no, we project you'll finish in the points and, like, get some good points here, P8, I think, at the time, Bono was saying, um, and ended up finishing fifth, so... Goes to show you, um, you know, just a little bit of self-belief <laughs> goes a long way to pull out a result. And, you know, that's not saying that, you know, he's run out of talent or just, you know, he's he's beyond it or whatever. I think that's absolutely ludicrous to, to say that. But I think Hamilton has, you know, he has this thing where, and this is speaking from a human perspective, you know, I'm guilty of it too, is... You can just fall into a trap of self-doubt and, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I just, just, just forget about it, give up, you know, try again next time, rather than, right, well, you know, we could possibly pull this off, you know, it might not be what we want, but it's still something, you know, to take away from it. And it's kind of 
good to see in a way. Like, I know a lot of people blow up and start abusing him and, like, giving him grief, saying, oh, you know, you're such a blah, 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 seven-time world champion, my blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, it just shows the human side, and I find that kind of refreshing that, you know, even seven-time world champions can have days like that where they um, just feel like giving up, but, you know, a bit of positive reinforcement, a bit of encouragement from Bono, who's, of course, been through quite a lot um, with with Lewis at Mercedes for the last eight years, uh, just knows how to press the right buttons and get him back up there. So good on them to recover to P5. Um, unfortunately, there were some cooling problems that they had at the end of the day uh, with such blistering conditions it was like 37 degrees air temperature at one point there at the track um and the upgraded car could not cope you know so they had to surrender he was running p4 he had such great pace when he did make it back into the top 10 and he sighed through most of the field uh but he had to surrender p4 to carlos Sainz. so um still top five result for hamilton's great especially after you know just not being at one with that car for the opening few races but it's it's not looking too bad for Mercedes and you know if you read my article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago now who knows um I said you know it's just yeah it's no point trying to give up belief in them or saying that they're done and this is the end of the era for them they're a team that you know they've won only because they have that mentality to win, you know, they've got the people in place to, if something goes wrong, they can fix it, so that's why I said, don't ring the alarm bells, sure, this season might be character building, and will really test the might of this eight-time Constructors Championship winning team, and these upgrades that they've brought, you know, like, given the fact that there's such strict restrictions on you know how much they can develop in the season you know how much time they can spend in the wind tunnel and how much money they can spend and all that sort of stuff with the budget cap like to be able to pull out whatever they did with these upgrades out of the hat is a big tick and and that just shows how good Mercedes are even if they're not winning all the time so I think that's a big big result for them and um, hopefully We'll see what they do further on down the track. Monaco, they might, they are saying it might be a bit difficult. Of course, last year wasn't the greatest weekend for them in Monaco, so um, we'll have to wait till we get to tracks like Baku and um, Canada also coming up soon, which will be exciting. Magnussen, as I said earlier, sadly didn't recover. He was classified 17th at the end of the race, which was pretty much last. No, it wasn't. He was at least ahead of Alex Albon. In the Williams, who had also a pretty miserable day, the go faster red hair didn't really work for him on this in case, on this occasion. Um, but yeah, not a great day for Haas. You got to say at all, they didn't score any points like they didn't score either in Miami. Um, Mick Schumacher, he qualified in the top ten. Actually, it was his best ever qualifying in F1 to make it through to Q3 and was able to you know, run at the front kind of early on in the race or run in the top 10, I should say. But, you know, a two-stop strategy wasn't going to work in these conditions and he was one of those victims that fell 
Outside the points, ended up finishing P14. Um, top six finish again for Valtteri Bottas. Uh, had a great race. He qualified up there too. And again, you know, just Bottas, how good he has been in the Alfa Romeo. You know, it's just, it's the same level of performance that he would have been putting in in the Mercedes uh, last year. But to put that Alfa Romeo um, where it is at the moment, last couple of races, he really has done quite a good job. And you know is up there for driver drivers you know that are performing quite well this season. He finished again ahead of Esteban Ocon in a lonely seventh place. So Alpine dismal qualifying pace as we saw, um, and with Fernando Alonso, the home hero, being knocked out in Q1 as well. But their race pace was great, and Alonso from the rear with the new ICE that they put in the car after being knocked out in Q1 was able to get up to P9 and finishing the points. So his first points in a while as well, which is good to see. And yeah, Alpine, you know, they've got this race pace. If they qualify a bit better, is that going to see them finish more consistently in the points? Who knows? Um, But it was good to see what they were able to accomplish on the day there. They're just behind uh, Alfa Romeo Racing when you look at the Constructors' Championship points or whatever. So I think there's five points in between them. Um, and 11 points behind McLaren as well. And McLaren, oh, one side of the garage would be pretty happy, um, even though they f- would have felt miserable with their illness. Um, talking about Lando Norris, of course, who had a heroic P8 finish um, starting outside the points. His last lap in Q2 was deleted for a track limits violation at turn 12, I believe it was, but he was just struggling all weekend, and it was later discovered that he had uh, tonsillitis, so, you know, I'm sure many of you have had tonsillitis before, um, either at a young age or a bit older, um, and it's just not fun news, and to be in these sort of conditions, like 35, 36, 37 degrees Celsius in a race car, which is probably like 50 or 60 degrees Celsius and having that problem as well it's it should it shows how great um a performance that was from Lando so some good points for them there Daniel Ricciardo oh mate it's just becoming it's just becoming that sad part of the podcast you know or you know sad part of watching a Grand Prix is seeing the struggles of Daniel Ricciardo now it was encouraging that he made it through to Q3 um, he was the head of Mick Schumacher in when they did their runs in Q3, but just they tried all sorts of strategies during the race to make him competitive, to make him feel at one with those tyres, but sadly nothing worked out. I think they tried four different uh, strategies or whatever, and still he just was not competitive at all, couldn't get to race anybody, and yeah, just dropped to P12, and I know there's the whole drum beating thing going on about his future and everything, and I don't want to get too swept up in that. Um, as much as you know, I feel like you know, it's the second seat of McLaren is a is a good seat to be in, you know, for for the future. Um, I just want to see this partnership work, you know, after all the the trials and tribulations, all the things that, you know, with the split with Renault as well, to then take the chance on McLaren, um, and McLaren have been good, you know, they've, they've made a lot of steps, and they're pretty much still ahead of where Renault and now Alpine are um, in the competitive order, but 
Ricardo isn't really helping <laughs> with the results to um, put them further where they could be. And that's where, you know, last year as well, where they could have had a third in the Constructors' Championship for a second season running, they basically fell short because they lost a lot of points on, on his side of the garage. So it's it's a sad it's a sad tale um i mean coming to monaco monaco's been a good race for ricardo he's obviously won there in the past um mclaren could be competitive there i mean do you dare to dream that he could pull a, a win out of the hat but whether a win is going to take him far you know uh, far as far like is it going to take him far in you know remedying the problems that they have at the moment um in with him in the car who knows so yeah that's that's pretty much my position on it you know i don't want to just not what do you call it like just hang hang my dirty laundry on it or talk rubbish about it like i hear some people saying but yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because I want him to do well, A, because he's Australian, B, because he's driving uh, for my favourite team. And, you know, you want both drivers uh, in that team to, to do well. So, plus, I, I've said it before, I'm not convinced yet with if they really want to put, you know, someone like a Colton Herter in the car. I'm not convinced yet that he's going to be much better than what Ricardo was giving. He needs to win a, a championship in Indy, um, in IndyCar for me to be convinced that he's the real deal um, taking someone because they have raw pace is you know there's so many other guys and gals around you know that on raw pace could should be in F1 but you know that's that's just the way F1 is you know it's it's about who you know rather than what you know and um, you know the contacts you have and of course Zach Brown and the Andretti camp uh, are quite close, so that's that little thing. Um, looking at who else paid or who else got uh, good results because of a three-stop strategy, Yuki Sonoda in tenth, a bit of an anonymous one for him, unfortunately as well. But uh, a good race because you know he beat his teammate. Pierre Gasly was hurt by contact early in the race with Lance Stroll, so both of them finished outside the points. Um, and a bit dismal for Aston Martin because they stole the headlines coming into the weekend or just as the weekend began for their Red Bull-like upgrades. You know, they've you know a few years ago they had the pink Mercedes and now they've got a green Red Bull to the point where um, Christian Horner and co on the Red Bull pit wall during practice were drinking the the green can version of Red Bull. You know, just to to stir something up or whatever. But um, it appears on the surface that. Aston have done this legitimately like they haven't you know they weren't when they came into the season or they started developing their 2022 concept they say that they had two different concepts that they were working on um, and this happened to be uh, one of them that you know now given that their initial concept that they debuted with was not very successful um, it was time to maybe switch you know bring a different car or whatever but in saying that, you know, Red Bull are quite curious as to how the cars are so similar in certain parts, you know, I mean, when you look at the performance of Aston Martin over the weekend and their results, you know, it clearly hasn't done much for them, Sebastian Vettel finishing in 11th and uh, Stroll down in 15th and then not making it out of Q1 either, Um 
But it has made Red Bull quite curious because they've had quite a few staff go over to Aston Martin um, in the last year or so or 12 to 18 months, including Dan Fallows, who was uh, head or very high up in the aerodynamic ranks there at Red Bull. Um, whether they've taken some kind of intellectual property over, who knows? I mean, there might be an investigation into that sort of thing, but for what it's worth, it didn't work for them. They they had a pretty miserable weekend. So I think, you know, other than looking into whether, whether staff have kind of taken intellectual property over, there's not much more to it. Unless, of course, they come out in Monaco and score, score pole and score the win or whatever. We have Sebastian Vettel um, being told on the final lap, move aside, let Lance win the race or whatever. Um, but that's not going to happen, I'm pretty sure. Uh, behind Stroll, his countryman, Nicholas Latifi, he was lucky to get a pass on Kevin Magnussen for P16. And, I mean, it was kind of encouraging, you know, when you when you looked at they had Nick DeVries, the Formula E champion, uh, in the car in FP1, um, him possibly knocking on the door for... Uh, F1 debut next year with Williams. Um, Williams have made it quite clear since last year that they don't really need the... It's not about money and the sponsorship money that uh, Latifi and co. bring. Um, so, you know, to him for him to get that chance for a third season this year was quite, you know, I thought rewarding given the performances he put in last year, but then this year it's been pretty dismal. So... You know, this might be a little win for him or whatever, but in the long run, if someone like uh, DeVries is on the market, and, you know, all for all accounts and purposes, he is, because um, McLaren in Formula E, who will take over the Mercedes project next year, uh, seem to want to go in a different direction with their drivers. Um, so that means current drivers Stoffel Van Dorn and, and Nick DeVries will no longer be... Uh, with that team, even if they win the championship again this year for Mercedes. And it's quite ironic because they're both former McLaren drivers um, and both seemingly have burnt bridges at McLaren, more so DeVries than um, than Van Dorn. But, you know, it was a sad time there at McLaren um, when you look when both of them were in that camp. So if someone like a DeVries is on the market, then he's, he's a sure end to, to go for, you know. And even giving someone like an Oscar Piastri or even now Jack Doohan, son of um, MotoGP legend Mick Doohan, uh, staking a claim if um, he does well in Formula 2 this year he wants to be able to step into F1 but there's not enough seats to go around unfortunately so you know we'll wait and see what happens with that one Albon as I said miserable weekend he ended up with a 5 second penalty as well at the end of the race because of um, a track limits violation I think it was so he was last of the classified runners we had Guan Yu Zhou um, unlucky with another car related failure and I mean, I was talking about Joe Guan Yu, Guan Yu Zhou, um, uh, only recently with, with a friend off air and, you know, he was saying, oh, you know, you should put Piastri in the car. And I'm like, yeah, you know, in an ideal world, that's what we would like and everything. But I feel like we haven't really seen Joe or Guan Yu Zhou, sorry, I just getting confused with the name um, apologies you know um we haven't seen them 
be able to show their performance because their car just doesn't make it to the end of the race. You know, Bottas is having such a good run with his reliability, but it's it's their car, um, Zhou Guan Yu's car, that just <laughs> uh, has such a bad run. So, you know, he's had no points since the 10th that they scored in Bahrain for um, the season opener. Last two races have been DNFs, Monaco just about survival see if they can make it to the end so um yeah i don't want to be too hard like i i hate being harsh you know on on drivers you know i know um or i don't know you know what they go through and all that sort of thing like i'll be harsh to certain drivers you know you can call me hippocratic or whatever but um it's just you know it's no point you know when there's no basis to to be harsh and and they've not really given me anything to to talk about right now apart from the reliability of their car so anyway that kind of wraps up Barcelona um as I said championship uh tables have changed with Red Bull and Ferrari uh sorry with Red Bull on top of Ferrari and Max Verstappen on top of Charles Leclerc uh Sergio Perez in third George Russell only 11 points behind him in fourth and um, nine points behind is Carlos Sainz, who again just uh, what's gonna what's gonna give for Sainz? Like at least fourth for him this weekend was his best ever finish in Spain, so we'll give him that much. Um, but we're gonna have to see him back on the podium soon, and and especially for Ferrari as well, because uh, yeah, they don't want to fall into that trap where they. Um, the second half of their season or the second half of their title challenges falls apart. And then especially with Mercedes looking a bit more confident with their upgrades and they've got a bit more pace under the, um, bit more pace in their pocket. Now it's going to be an interesting one to see if, um, they can take a few points away from Ferrari, particularly when they're having their bad days. So that wraps up Barcelona. Next up Monaco, of course, um, Leclerc, home favourite, he needs a bit of luck reversal, like he's had a torrid time at Monaco, and to make it even worse, he did the Monaco historic race uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he crashed (laughs) Um, Nicky Lauda's uh, 1974, 1975 Ferrari, I think it was, and he crashed that, you know, so that's the kind of luck he has at home. Um, not good, but anyway, we'll move on from that, we'll see how he goes this weekend, um, but it would be quite, um, you know, it would be quite, uh, good if he was able to win on home soil, so good on him. Other news, I think there was a bit of chat around the weekend about Formula One, um, looking to be a bit more clever with its calendar in 2023 in terms of geographically blocking um, races together. So, you know, have a have a European leg, have an Asian-Australian leg, have the North American, South American races together, yada, yada. I mean, it's a good idea, of course, and it's going to help with um, their, what do you call it, you know, desire to go uh, carbon neutral and you know and everyone knows that you know airplanes and freight and all that is one of the biggest you know carbon emitters in the world so to be able to cut that down um, would be important and they've still got that um, it's good that F1 is still standing by that 2030 target for net zero carbon so 
yep, that's that. Um, moving it on, Bathurst 12 hours. So, yeah, of course, last time I was on air, um, I did that chat with Steve from Shakedown. Um, really great uh, to do that. I still you know, feel like it was, it feels like yesterday we had, had a good, good time doing it, um, equally a good time with the Bathurst 12-hour weekend, of course I wasn't there, usually am, you know, when it's in February, but I think, you know, despite all the changes that they made this year, and having like a pro-am, pro-am class only to be the outright contender so there was no pro class that they normally use a smaller grid as well with with the reduced entry list it was still a great race you know we still had those international drivers come in and like fighting each other it was so good seeing Mara Wengel um going wheel to wheel with with Jules Gounon of course who ended up winning the race for Sun Energy 1 and Mercedes AMG um, Kenny Habul, Lucas Stoltz, Martin Conrad in that car, first wins for them and for, for Kenny Habul who lives like at the track pretty much or has a house there at Bathurst and you know the story of him growing up idolising Peter Brock and being able to work as a mechanic or in the garage for uh, Brock a long time ago, it's a bit of a fairy tale for them. But you know, watching those internationals go up against each other, you had Kelvin Vanderlinde as well in the seventy-four Audi having a good time. Um, it was great, you know. And looking forward to next year. Looking forward to next year already as well. Um, with the date set to return to February, um, be scorching just the way I like it. You know, get burnt or crisp whenever I'm there. Um, but as far as the results are concerned, yeah. So we have the seventy-five Mercedes win the race and Mercedes uh, sweeping the podium because we had the Craft Bamboo ninety-one car with uh, Mario Engel um, and Kevin C and uh, Danny Junkadella finishing in second, and then the triple eight car, um, with the gorgeous <laughs> Mamba livery, um, on it, Shane Van Giesbergen, Brock Feeney, and Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim as well, finishing third, um, rotten weekend for Audi, unfortunately, so my favourite, the 65 car with, uh, Fraser Ross, Chas Mostert, and, and Liam Talbot, they qualified on pole position, but then ended up having reliability problems through the race, and then there was a two-minute penalty which killed the chances for the 74 car. Um, two-minute penalty because uh, the AM driver, Brad Schumacher, who had such a great weekend as well, you know, first time racing with the pros as well at the at the front of the field. Usually he is in the, I think, the invitational class. I've seen him race the KDM crossbows or whatever, um, the small GT4 cars. So for him to step up to the Audi, um, Audi GT3 this weekend, or sorry, that weekend, and he did such a great job in the AM stint. Um, unfortunately, his time went a bit over, and um, Vanderlinde, who was in a very strong position at that point of the race, um, basically had his hopes dashed with that. So not great for those guys, but um, what a race, and looking forward to next time. Moving it on to supercars now, finishing it off as well, um, we had the Winton Super Sprint over the weekend, um, and I know I didn't do a proper like wrap-up of, of Perth or whatever, but it, it kind of was a bit of a status quo weekend, as was this in, a, in many respects. We had Shane Van Giesbergen winning in race 14, having an aggressive undercut on Cameron Waters to win this one, 
but the highlight was Cameron Waters, in fact, winning um, his first race of the season, Tickford's first race of the season, and winning the round as well. First time he's won a solo round of supercars, wins in race 13 and 15. Both of them saw last lap battles with Van Gisbergen, and he was able to prevail, getting the elbows out, and finally making one stick on the champ. Um, But you have to argue that, you know, for Tickford and for Waters, they kind of needed a good weekend at Winton, especially given the fact that Winton is their testing ground. Um, I'm surprised we didn't see more of the Victorian teams feature prominently, um, except for, for Grove Racing as well, who for me, as a team effort, they were the best of the Victorian teams that test at Winton regularly to perform. We saw top six races, uh, top six finishes for both David Reynolds and Lee Holdsworth in all three races across the weekend. Um, a pair of podiums as well for Reynolds and looking pretty handy in the points as well. And, you know, this is kind of a bit of a He's been kind of a sleeper when it comes to the way he's performed. And it's great to see that, you know, for Grove to talk about their change in mindset that they've had, you know, since um, the Grove family completed the takeover um, from from the Kellys. And, you know, they're being not ruthless, I guess, but just, you know, they're a lot more focused with, with this. And, you know, bringing in someone like David Couchy as well as Team Principal, who's worked for a juggernaut like Triple Eight for many years, understands that mentality, and it's good to see where they're at with, with this at the moment. Um, Reynolds sitting 52 points adrift of uh, Will Davison in the championship. Wouldn't be surprised if they continue with this consistency that they, they move a bit further up, and next round in Darwin has been a pretty, pretty good place for... Um, Kelly Racing in the past and, and well, Grove now essentially so and Reynolds has done quite well too so you know just putting it out there maybe we might see Reynolds uh, take his first win for the team um, next time out in Darwin. As far as the team's standings are concerned so with with where Grove are they're P5 at the moment in the team standings or sorry P4 um Oh, well, you know, that's kind of silly. <laughs> um, they've uh, they've obviously updated standings, and I based, you know, my uh, sheets on... <laughs> that's quite embarrassing. Anyway, so what I was going to say is that they were kind of, you know, in this gaggle with Walkinshaw and Dreading United and, and Erebus Motorsport over fourth, but they've uh, quite comfortably... They've uh, comfortably gotten themselves ahead, which is good. And they're not too far behind um, Tickford now, which is going to be interesting too. So obviously you've got 150 points between Shell V Power Racing and, and Red Bull at the top there with Red Bull in the lead. And between Tickford and um, Penrite Racing, Grove Racing is only 89 points. So, you know, if they have a good weekend up in Darwin, you know, up in third in the championship will be pretty good for those guys. So, um yeah, you consider that, you consider uh, not-so-good weekends for the likes of... Uh, not-so-good weekends for the likes of Walkinshaw again, um, even though Chaz Mostert had improved performance. It's more so his teammate, Nick Perkat having some struggles. Uh, and, yeah, you know, after not being able to qualify outside 
um, in the top 20 in Perth, you know, to come to Winton and also have similar struggles with, with his races and stuff as well was not really good. <laughs> um, and DJR as well, uh, spending a weekend in the wilderness uh, too, so not, not great for them. But Darwin is a bit more of a happy hunting ground for them in the past, so you would hope that they are able to bounce back up there and confirm some good news during the week as well with sponsorships and stuff, so they've been able to um, retain their title partner in Shell, so that's good to hear that. So, as far as the driver standings are concerned, at the top, you know, I mean, do you really want to know? I mean, it's 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 kind of you know the obvious choice there. It is still Shane Van Giesbergen, two hundred and eighty-one points clear of Anton Di Pasquale, um, and Cameron Waters kind of jumping up there into third, but he's three hundred and thirty-three points adrift. So I don't see anyone jumping up there unless something miracle, uh, no, miraculous. Sorry, not miracle. Um, something miraculous were to happen in this championship, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, it should be one for Van Gisbergen to take, so another year to th- contemplate what's going to happen in 2023 um, for the other drivers, because yeah, they really have to get their act together if they want to uh, topple SVG. SVG's not going over to IndyCar, so you can't rely on him to leave like Scott McLaughlin to um, be able to have someone else win it and speaking of Scott McLaughlin good luck to Scotty this weekend at the Indy 500 um we'll be rooting for you uh not the greatest qualifying for him all the way on row nine down in position 26 but he's sharing that with um Colton Herter and Elio Castro Neves so you know Colton Herter one of the favorites of course and then Elio having won the race last year I believe too so anything can happen um when you look through the grid some big names you know you've got alexander rossi down there in 20th callum Eilot, um in 19th simon paginal of course another winner there down in 16th joseph newgarden um, scotty's teammate and will power they're both uh, 14th and 11th respectively Jimmy Johnson getting into the top 12 in what's his first, I think, Indy 500. Roman Grosjean, ninth in his first Indy 500. Really good to see Grosjean doing well. Really love that DHL livery as well with the pride colours all over it. The two Aaron McLaren SPs, Pato Award, Felix Rosenquist, sharing row three with Grosjean. So high hopes for those guys as well. Want to see them do well. I mean, there's always going to be someone... There's always going to be someone likable who wins the Indy 500, um, unless it's Santino Ferrucci, of course, but we won't go there. And five-time pole sitter Scott Dixon, my goodness, if you watched his qualifying run, whoa, that was just something else. So, you know, Scott Dixon really pulling it out of the bag there and just, you know, so much quicker than... Uh, everyone else. So we'll see how this one goes. Um, it's obviously a bit difficult for me to watch the Indy 500 live. I haven't subscribed to Stan Sport as I should do for the likes of Formula E and WEC and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I might just have to watch the highlights on YouTube for this one as I do every year because it is on rather late for me two o'clock on a Monday morning you know and then having to get up for work as well it's uh yeah not one that I've pulled myself uh around to watching live for quite some time now so 
yeah, that's about it. Um, enjoy Monaco Grand Prix this weekend. Enjoy the um, Indy 500, whoever is watching, whoever is going to watch that. And other than that, um, that's about it. And I'll be back to wrap it all up for you next week. So thank you very much for listening.